Hello and welcome to the River and Panhandle's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you are tuning in for this week's message. Before we get started, there are a few things that we would love for you to do. Share it, subscribe, and rate the podcast. So the message is about to begin. We hope that you are encouraged and that you always remember, no role is insignificant. Every life matters and go out and make a difference. If I haven't ever met you, my name is Matt. I also, like Pastor Mark last week, um, used to be a lead pastor here. And can I just tell you, we are so excited to get to, I'm going to say it this way, to, to come and visit family, to come home. Um, if you've known me, there's a lot of you that I've known for a really, really long time. Um, this, this past July, we got to celebrate 10 years in ministry. Eight of those 10 years have been right here in this house. So for us, when we get to come to this place, we feel like we're coming home. We feel like we're seeing family. In fact, this is super cool. We, we get here and Brett, we tell Bradley, who's our five-year-old little boy, looks like Pat Mahomes if you've never met him. If you haven't met him, you'll probably meet him as soon as service is done. Dude doesn't know a stranger, right? We tell him, hey, bud, we're going to Panhandle. He's like, oh, I'm going to get to see Zegan and Rush. And those are his boys. Like, they're, they're trouble. Let's be real. Okay, let's be honest. They're troubled, but Bradley and Zegan, they lock eyes. They catch each other right here in the hallway, and it doesn't matter who was in the way. They were about to get trampled over. They yelled at each other, ran, and gave each other a big old hug. That's how I feel like this morning. I feel like I'm here with some family. We are excited to be here. Um, Your pastor Mark came in last week and brought an amazing message. Right. About knowing what to fight for. You know, what I mean, he talked about the fight or flight reflexes. And I agree with what he said right now, more than ever, it's time for us to dig into church. It's time for, not to dig into church like the facility or the practice, but to dig into church, the identity. Right. How many of you know God's plan is still the church? Right. It always has been. That's what we see in the book of Acts is the advancement of the gospel through what? Through the church, through the believers in Christ. So I, I just want to piggyback off that. I'm, well, actually, I'm going to go a little bit different direction. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 29. While you're turning there, um, I'll give you some background info. This is an interesting chapter. Earlier in the book of Luke, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and he says, hey, listen, I've given you, you can go heal. I want you to go preach the gospel, heal people that need it, all of this stuff. They come back excited. So this is a second time. Jesus sends out 72 other followers, right? And he tells them this. He says, hey, go out to the, to the, the nations. He's about to make his way back to Jerusalem to the cross. He says, tell them, teach them that the kingdom of God is near. If they accept you, stay in their house, let them take care of you. But if they reject you, Right. If they reject you, dust the dirt off your feet. What you're saying is basically like, hey, I'm handing you over to your own decision. What's interesting is that whether they accepted Jesus or they rejected him, the message never changed. Come on, church. How many of you know the message hasn't changed, that the kingdom of God is near, that Jesus is still king of kings. And as long as he's alive and seated at the right hand of the father, there's still life. There's still hope. There's still a future and there's still something for us to work towards. Right? So that was the message. So these guys, they go out, they come back, they're like, Jesus, guess what? We were able to cast, like even the demons 
responded to us. Like when we told them to leave, they left. And Jesus catches them off guard by saying something. He says, yeah, like I gave you all authority over the power of Satan. I saw him fall like lightning. I gave you the power over snakes and scorpions, which is a reference to the power of sin and death. He says, but don't celebrate that the demons respond to you. Celebrate that your names are written in heaven. I, I read that and I wonder, do we celebrate what heaven celebrates? You know what I mean? Like when it comes to our life and our walk, do we value what is valuable to heaven? You know what I mean? I think that's what he's bringing up. Like, yeah, it's great that the demonic, the demon sickness, all of that responded to you. But what's even greater than the fact that that can happen is that, man, your names are written in heaven. That they're written in heaven. Now, shortly after that, a lawyer comes up to debate with Jesus. And this is what it says in verse 29. It says, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus and he said, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what is a neighbor. What is a neighbor? Let's pray. So dearly, Father God, we just thank you for this time. God, I thank you for rain. God, in, in the Bible, rain is always a symbol of blessing. <clears throat> God, and I believe that you have a blessing that you want to pour out on this place and the surrounding communities. So God, come and meet with us this morning. We love you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Man, um, so there's a lot of things about life that I really enjoy. Like growing up, I'm one of these weird guys. I've, 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 I've pulled a whole bunch of people. I'm like, hey, do you like adulting? That's what millennials say for growing up, right? Do you like adulting? Do you like growing up? Many of them are like, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I'm like, I like it. You know what I mean? Like, I like knowing that I can make a decision and like, and it change the direction of things in my life. Like, or that I can go after my goals. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of other, I like moving around. If you've ever been around me, I don't sit still. We were at Life Group or our city group the other day, and the, I think I made the lady nervous because I went from sitting on the floor to laying on the couch to standing up to pacing. Like, I just don't like being still. One of my favorite things that I love about life, and this, uh, I like being biracial. Like, multi-races inside of me. I, I, I love being Hispanic. I love being white. Like, it was almost against the rules at our house to not have a package of tortillas in the pantry. Like, I'm just being for real. Like, I love, I love it. Like, for, for Christmas, what we do is we eat enchiladas. Your boy gets down with some enchiladas. Now, I want to bring some clarity. I am biracial. I am not bilingual, okay? I am biracial, I can ask you what your name is. I can say good and probably a bunch of other things that I shouldn't know. But I'm not like I'm not fluent in, 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 in speaking Spanish. And I'll tell you when I lost hope in being bilingual. My dad is like a crafts guru. My dad growing up, my dad, I mean, they have a three car garage that my dad built. Poured the concrete, fell off the roof, all the stuff, all the pain, all of that. Like we grew up doing projects and just doing a whole bunch of work at our house. This was a regular conversation when it came to working with my dad. We'd be doing something, and my dad would say, son, can you go get the thing for me? Okay. I don't know what the thing is. So I have this setup question. I'm like, maybe if I can figure out where the thing is located, I can find out what the thing is. So I'm like, yeah, dad, I'll go get the thing. Can you tell me where it's at? He goes, yeah, it's over there by the thing. I'm like, at this point, there's no way I'm learning Spanish. If I can't figure out what the thing is, that's an English word. There's no way I'm going to learn 
Spanish. Like we just had a different understanding of the word thing. For dad, thing is everything. Right? You know what I mean? For me, like there's a specific to thing. Uh, you ever you ever have a different understanding of a word or a term than somebody else? There was another time. It was not like it was a couple months ago. Bradley was here on a T-ball team. We're getting ready to take pictures, and I don't like pictures. Like I don't like taking pictures. I don't like being in pictures. You can Photoshop me in if you want me. Like that's that's how I feel about pictures. We're getting ready to take our team photo, and they're getting everybody together, all the coaches and all that other stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go get the helmets. I'm gonna go get the. I'm gonna go get busy. So I gotta be in the picture. They take the picture, they come up to me, and they're like, hey, Matt, how come you weren't in the picture? And Alexis walks up, she goes, that's okay. He doesn't really, like, he's not really photogenic. I was like, wait, did you just call me ugly? <laughs> like, did you just say what I think you did? No, no, like, doesn't photogenic mean, like, you don't like taking pictures? Like, our understanding of the word, it's like, babe, you just called, we've been married eight years. I just found out I'm not photogenic. Come on now. We just had... Different understandings of the word. And thinking about that, I wonder how many different understandings of terms do we have for like than Jesus? You know what I mean? Like how many of our definitions for certain words would be different than what Jesus would say? For example, Google the word neighbor. For most people, neighbor is like a defining point for somebody's proximity to somebody else. My neighbor is the guy that lives next to me. If you grow up in church, we can expand it a little. And my neighbor is anybody I could see, right? That's kind of how it is. But what if, what if our definition of neighbor is actually wrong? That's what I want to get at this morning. Do we have the right definition of neighbor? So let's dive in. Verse 25 reads like this. Let's go into the whole story. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, What should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? That's interesting. How do you interpret it? The man answered, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. He said, do this and you will live. Now, let's build this scene. Right. Jesus is just the 72 have just come back. They're excited. Jesus has this like real intimate moment of praise, like thanking God for like what's happened. Then all of a sudden this lawyer comes up and he said he comes up with a motive. Right. Now, let's be clear. Do the religious leaders like Jesus? No. Right. This part of the book of of the gospel of Luke onward is all about Jesus's rejection. Right. His rejection on his uh, exodus would be the term that they use back to Jerusalem to go to the cross. This guy comes up with a motive. It's like, hey, you've been teaching something. I'm an expert in the law. Let me see if I can trap you. So he comes up to Jesus. Right. With his motive. He's got his game plan. Anybody ever go into a conversation like with a battle strategy? Like, you know, you're going to get into an argument. You've already got the argument pre planned out in your head. That's what's going on. This guy's like, all right, here's my question. How do you inherit eternal life? Let's stop there. Can you inherit eternal life? No. Listen, you can't earn. You can't earn heaven. Right? He's off from the beginning. You can't earn heaven. The only reason we get to go to heaven is because of the finished work of the cross. Right? The only reason we get to go to heaven is because Jesus is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father because he died bearing the sins of all humanity. Right? Anybody remember that? It's called the gospel. 
man, we should be way more excited about the gospel. <laughs> just like, just being real. We should be way more excited about the gospel. So Jesus does this. I love how Jesus goes into these situations because Jesus has a, a knack of answering questions by asking another question. Hey, how do you inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, how do you read the Bible? I mean, what does the Old Testament, what does the Torah say to you? And he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right now, what he does is he quotes two different texts, one from Deuteronomy, one from Leviticus. What's really interesting is this is the same thing that Jesus has been teaching. Right? The whole law is fulfilled in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6 real quick, though. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. This is called the Shema. In fact, that's what the word listen means. The word there is the Hebrew word Shema. It very literally means listen and do. Not hear. This is what they're told to teach their kids. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, or the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Right? This is, in this, he, Moses tells them, he says, listen, do this. Like, this should be written on your foreheads, written on your hand, which is a way for it. It should be always on your mind and always lived out in your life. He says you should have this conversation when you wake up and before you go to bed, when you're walking and when you're sitting. Like, you're supposed to tell this to the next generation. Right? Which is interesting because when you get to the book of Joshua or Judges, which is right after. No, no, it's a couple books after. Book of Judges, it says that there arose a generation who didn't know God. Why? Is it possible because they quit teaching their kids this? To love the Lord, to quit passing this down, to quit, they quit sharing testimonies. Plenty of times throughout the Bible, they set up altars and God says, and when your children ask you, this is what you should tell them. When, you know, parents, listen, you know what that means? The passing down of your faith is not resting on the shoulders of your youth pastor. The passing down of your faith is resting on the shoulders of you. Your youth pastor is not their parent, you are. Which means that the reason that they should know Jesus is because of the stories, the testimonies, and the truth that you teach them. The regular conversations that you have with them when they wake up, when they go to bed, when they're sitting at the table, when they're walking, when they're sitting still. It is, uh, it is my responsibility to know, for, to, to make sure that Juju and Bradley know who Jesus is, not my, not my senior pastor. Does that make sense? If, if, Man, think about this. We get to heaven, and you know Jesus, and your kids don't. And God comes up to you and says, well, hey, how come, why don't they know Jesus? I don't think, well, my youth pastor didn't teach them is a sufficient answer. Because I think God's reply would be, well, you were the one that I gave them to. You were the one that I gave them to. Right, so they're supposed to teach this to their kids Here's the question I want to ask. What, is it, what does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength? Right? If we're going to teach them, Shema, very, it means listen and do. What does it mean? Well, can we, can we come in agreement and understand that the Bible was not written by Americans to Americans? Right? If we're going to understand what this means, we have to understand it's true and genuine context, Right? This was written to Middle Eastern to Middle Eastern people, Jewish people by Jewish people. Okay, the word for 
love is the Hebrew word lev, or no, for heart is the Hebrew word lev. Now, they didn't understand heart the way that we understand heart, right? For them, they didn't know that your thoughts, your emotions, your joy, your love, all of that came from here. So when they would refer to love the Lord with your heart, or when they would speak about the heart, they thought the heart was the center place of your thoughts, your decisions, and your emotions, Right? Think about some of the verses that we read. It says, guard in Proverbs, Solomon writes, guard your heart for out of it flows the direction of life. Craig Rochelle, I love his quote because it sums it up. It's like a more modern way of quoting it. He says, your life goes in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Right? Oh, oh, there's another one. The heart is deceitful above all else. Come on. Any of us ever been in a rut because of the dangerous thoughts we've ever had going through our heads? I mean, some of us are living there because of the lies that we've bought into. So to love the Lord with all your heart is to love him in your thoughts and your emotions in, in those kind of circumstances. The next part is he says, love the Lord with all your soul. It's the Hebrew word nefesh. Now, when we think of soul, we think of this like immaterial spirit like thing. But when they would hear the word nefesh, that's not what would come to mind for them. Like they would use the word nefesh when they would do counts. And there were 60-something nefesh, 60-something people. Nefesh to them meant your physical body. Right? It was everything that you see here. So the first one, love the Lord with all your heart, was to love the Lord with your thoughts, your emotions. To love the Lord with your soul was to love Him with your actual physical being. The last one is a big one. It's uh, love the Lord with all your strength. We read this. We Americanize this one hardcore. <laughs> Just... We think it's love the Lord with our might, our muscle, our ability, and our capacity. That's not what the word means for them. It was the Hebrew word meod. And for them, it meant more along the lines of wealth and opportunity. Right? The Aramaic translation of that word actually means um, wealth more specifically. But it, when they would read this, it meant like opportunity. So what does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your strength? It meant to love him with my thoughts and my emotions, with my entire being, with my entire being and with my opportunities. That's what it, that, if, if we sit down, if we take a step back and think about that, that means I'm giving everything to God. My thought life, giving it to God. My physical being, giving it to God. Everything that God gives me, I'm loving him with that as well. Right? That's what it means to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Now he answers this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So look at verse 29 again. It says, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Okay, so we got to get to this. What is he trying to justify? Well, Jews believed that there was only one group of people that they were supposed to love. It was other Jews, Right? They were like, man, okay, so uh, you're telling me I'm supposed to love people, but I'm only supposed to love the people that look like me, the people that think like me. Oh, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? That think like me, that do what I do, you know what I mean? He's trying to justify not loving outside sources. Right? The Jews didn't love Samaritans. Guess who would live next door to them? So by our definition of neighbor, Samaritans were their neighbor. Right? They didn't love Gentiles. How many of you understand God's people were chosen? They were supposed to be a blessing to the nations. How many, how many of you understand the church is supposed to be a blessing to the nations? Let me modernize this. Jesus, can you tell me that I'm only supposed to love a certain people? It, it would be like this. It would be like there being a major event that you get invited to, 
and you call the people hosting, you're like, hey, I'm planning on coming. Can you tell me who's all going to be there? And the only reason you show up is because you like everybody that's on the guest list. You know what I mean? But once you find out that there's somebody you don't like, you're like, uh-uh, I'm out. You know what I mean? Anybody ever been there? If you don't raise your hand, you're lying in church. Like, we've all been there. Oh, you're telling me something? Dude, man, that, oh, they drive me nuts. You know what I mean? That's what we're, what we're getting at. Jesus, you're telling me I got to love that guy? He smells bad. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't parent his kids. He's weird. He voted Democrat. He voted Republican. I got to love that guy? Tell me I don't got to love that guy. That's what he's at. Tell me I don't got to love them Samaritans. Tell me I don't got to love them Gentiles. Like they're crazy, Jesus. They don't even believe in you. They're chasing all these fake gods, building poles, doing all this weird stuff. I got to love those people? So Jesus tells a story. Verse 30 says, the Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down. To, oh, this is going to sound familiar. Down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, other translations say Levite, walked over, looked at him and then passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper the cost for him staying there, and he said, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay for that too. Story ends. Jesus looks at the lawyer. He says, now, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked the bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yeah, go do that thing. So let's talk about this story a little bit. If you grew up in church, you know this. This is the good Samaritan, right? This is the story we tell our kids to teach them to be nice to other people, to teach them to, to love other people. And sometimes I think it's something that we need to look at regular to remind ourselves that we're called to love other people. So this man is on this road from Jerusalem to, Jer to Jericho. It's a steep road. It's uphill or downhill. Like So when you're leaving Jerusalem to Jer Jericho, you're elevated. So you can see down it's a 17-mile-long hike. And on this road, we, we can assume, based on the context that this man is probably Jewish, because of how Jesus refers to the Samaritan. On this road, this man gets jumped. He gets left for dead. And the Bible refers to three different people seeing him. One was a priest. One was a Levite. The other was a Samaritan. Now here's what it says about the priest. By chance, a priest came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. A priest. Okay, these are... These are the people that, like, are supposed to be in tight with God. You know what I mean? Like, you know how the lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. These are the people that would have known that. And do you see what that says? It says he saw the man lying there. It's like, like, this guy is hurt, like, right here. He's walking. He sees the man. He says, listen, that's too messy. I don't want to put my hands in that. Anybody ever been there? 
Come on, look, spend any amount of time on Facebook and you'll see all kinds of people's messes. You mean how many times through life have we walked through and we see somebody making bad decisions in their marriage and we're like, nah, that's too messy. I don't want to put my hands in that. We see people trapped in a hole looking for help, which may be why God brought you across their path in the first place. And we see it, we see them trapped we're like, nah, man, that's, that's going to cost too much time. It's messy. I don't even want to, I don't want to get around that. I don't got time for that. That's how the priest responds. Then look at the Levite. This one, this one gets me going. It says that the Levite comes by. The temple says it walked over and it says that he looked at him. Yo, bro, you good? Oh, that looked like that hurts. I, I got somewhere I got to be, but I'll pray for you. I got somewhere, and then if we're going to be real, we forget to pray for him. You know what I mean? Bro, I'm going to pray for you. Prayers, emoji, prayer hand emoji. I got, I got places I got to be. I see you. I see you hurting. I'm like, I even walked up next to you. But I'm just going to go. I ain't got time for that. He, he did nothing. Walked up next to him. Then, and then it says this, a despised Samaritan walks up. Why would it say that? Why would Jesus say it that way? Because uh, there was racial tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. These guys did not like each other. During the exiles, the Samaritans like crossbred with other people. So the Jews were like, I'm out. There was so much religious tension that the, the Samaritans actually built their own temple as a place of worship. And they believe that this is where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. It's Mount Gerizim. That's their teaching. They're like, you worship in your temple, but this is where it really went down. Not what the Bible says. But these guys don't, you know, they're out there. You know what I mean? There's just racial, like there's so much hatred between these two people groups that when Jews would travel, they would much rather go around Samaria to get to where they were going than go through it. Like that's how much tension is between these Jews and Samaritans. And this is what catches me. This guy sees Jesus, uh, sees this guy beaten, and the Bible says he has compassion. Everybody say compassion. You know what's crazy about that? Go read the Gospels and see how many times Jesus does something because he's moved by compassion. Come on. Jesus goes to feed the 5,000, and you know why he does it? It says that he was moved by compassion because they were lambs without a shepherd. You know what I mean? Even God in the book of Exodus tells Moses, I'm compassionate. So can you imagine how this Jewish leader who would be familiar with the stuff in the Old Testament, especially the Torah, Exodus, that kind of thing, can you imagine how he would feel hearing Jesus describe somebody they don't like having the heart of God. And then the Bible says, this is what he does. It says that he takes care of his wounds. Guess what? He got in the mess. He says he loaded him up on his own donkey and took him to the end. It cost him energy and time. Nobody knows that how long this was going to take him out of the way. We don't know where the Samaritan was going. We just know that they crossed paths. 
But it cost him, uh, he got into the mess, it cost him energy and time, and then when it came time to pay the bill, he didn't ask the guy that got jumped to pay for it. Paid for it himself. It cost him resources. Those are too valuable today. Okay. That are our hearts in the wrong place. I don't want to get in the mess, Matt. Okay, but Jesus tells us to. It's going to take too much of my time. God kind of created time, so I'm pretty sure he could restore it. Just throwing that one out there. Cost me resources. Uh, it's just pavement in heaven anyways. This guy takes care of him. The two that were just like the lawyer, remember the lawyer wanted to justify, right? Tell me I'm only supposed to love people like me. The two that were just like the lawyer were the ones that walked by. And the one that could have had hatred and bitterness and stuff in his heart is the one that stopped. Step back. Look at the conversation. Jesus says, okay, which one of these three was the neighbor? The lawyer says, well, the one that showed him mercy. Notice he couldn't even say the Samaritan. You want a a revelation of the tension? Couldn't even say the Samaritan. Said the one that showed him mercy. Jesus said, yeah, I want you to go do what he did. You know what's interesting? To the lawyer, a neighbor was somebody worthy of receiving love. To Jesus, a neighbor was the one taking care of the injured one. He said, which one was the neighbor? It was the Samaritan. Come on. Is our definition of neighbor like Jesus's? No, we look at neighbor like it's somebody close to us in proximity to us, or they believe in Jesus just like me. No, Jesus said neighbor was the one that went and did the love. I love this Tony Evans quote. He says, when you see a legitimate need, with which you emotionally connect and which is within your capacity to address, right? Remember, in the mess, time and energy with the resources, you are called in the name of Christ to demonstrate compassion. Why? Well, because that's what moves God. When you move by compassion, you're stirred by compassion, you're actually moving by what moves God's heart. He said, love is not abstract or theoretical. It is concrete and requires action toward those who are hurting. It requires action. Come on, listen. If we believe that the church is still God's answer, God's plan, we have to move by love. Right? For what? I mean, let's be honest. What moved Jesus? For God so loved the world. It wasn't hypothetical. God didn't sit up in heaven and say, listen, I love you guys. Figure it out. No. It took actions. It took footsteps. Oh, man, I'll never forget this conversation I had with this guy. I was getting ready. We were meeting with him. I was going to do their wedding, and he's a truck driver. He didn't get to go to church a whole bunch, but he loved to read the Bible. He goes, man, I just don't get it. Why would God sacrifice his son? Why would he, like his only son, why would he sacrifice him? I said, Man, I, I, I don't know that we, we can ever understand that. You know what's crazy to me is that Jesus was just so on board with the plan that he stepped out of heaven too. <laughs> wasn't theoretical. Wasn't abstract. Listen, 
if our faith is more theoretical and abstract, we may actually be missing out on what faith really is. Faith is practical. What, what is theoretical about go and preach the gospel? What is theoretical about love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, what is theoretical about giving God your life? Mm, I'm going to ask a hard question. Don't throw rocks at me. But if giving God our life is a theory and it's abstract, is it possible that we don't know Jesus? Show me a person who came into God's presence and didn't leave changed. Show me. Even the ones like Gideon that stood in the presence of God were so afraid of dying because of how holy he was. Like the, he didn't leave the situation the same way he went into it. I, I, I love this. It's not theoretical. It's not abstract. <laughs> in, in, in our pursuit of being quote-unquote deep, we've lost practicality of our faith. I, I mean, I just want to know the deep things of God. It doesn't get any deeper than representing Him. <sighs> That's why He chose the church. That's why He calls the church His body. You remember that old, that old worship song, If We Are the Body... Why aren't his hands reaching? That may not be the lyrics. I just remixed it right there. Why aren't his feet moving? Y'all remember though, we used to sing that song in the 80s. <laughs> Probably more than 90s. But if we're the body, why are we just sitting? If we're the body, why is faith just a Wednesday, Sunday thing? If we are the body, why is it just about podcasts and stuff? <laughs> They're great tools, the horrible substitutes. But Matt, is it possible that the priest and the Levite didn't respond to the guy because of like their religious duties? You know what I mean? Like in Levitical law, like if they touch a dead guy, they're like unclean. You know what I mean? Like if, if they go and they help this guy, you know the priest doesn't get to do his priestly duties because he's got to go outside the camp. And the Levite probably saw the same thing. So you're telling me religious tradition might have caused these guys to not do what God's told them to do. There's a truth to that. But can I tell you something? You could be so religious and miss out on God. You could be so knee deep in your religion that you miss out on who God really is. In fact, look at what James says. James verse, chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and undefiled, what's that word? Religion. So if we want to get into the religious thing, let's, let's do this. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. To take care or to look after orphans and widows in their distress... And an orphan isn't somebody in their time that lost both parents. An orphan is somebody that has lost a parent. Okay? 
Take care of orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, I want to hold on to this word undefiled. Everybody say undefiled. You know what to defile means in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament more specifically? You know what it means? To treat as common. Oh, so pure and uncommon faith is this. Love the hurting. And more specifically, in this context, orphans and widows. And don't look like the world. Church, if we take a step back and look at what's going, is our life defiled? Like, is it common? Is our faith common? Does it look like everybody else or everything else that's going on? If we're going to talk about religion, man, Pure and uncommon religion is this. Love people. Well, what kind of people? Well, if we look at the Good Samaritan, everybody. Even the ones you despise. Come on. Think about all the tension that's happened over the last four years. Yeah, I'm going to go there. You telling me you love that guy like you do your family? If our answer is no, our faith seems pretty common. Pure and undefiled faith is this. Love your Love, <laughs> look after orphans and widows. Love your neighbor as yourself and don't look like the world. Undefiled, uncommon. You have been set apart by God, for God. What does that mean? The only people I should halfway look like is people in the church. People that are a part of the church, people that believe in Jesus. I had, a, I had a youth pastor ask me this one time when I was growing up. He said, man, if I showed up to your school, I didn't tell you I was coming, and I asked people you didn't hang out with, if you knew Jesus, what would they say? If I showed up to your work and just asked the people you hang out with at work, hey, do they know Jesus? What would they say? I don't know, man. They act like everybody else. Sounds common. Sounds just like everybody else. Here's, here's what I want to get at. Here's what I want to ask today. When it comes to a neighbor, whose definition do you use? Do you use the lawyer? I'm just going to love people that look like me, think like me, do what I do, love what I love, vote how I vote, Facebook the way I Facebook, tweet like I tweet, follow who I follow. Or do you use Jesus' definition? Are we taking care of those who need it, no matter what they look like, no matter how they talk, no matter how they vote, no matter where they live, no matter how good or bad their lives are, etc.? Here's my point. A neighbor isn't somebody you just love, but also someone you're called to be. A neighbor is not just somebody you love, somebody you're called to be. Which one of these three was the neighbor? Well, it was that guy, the Samaritan. Okay, we'll go do that. 
Here's the truth. When you get down to it, Jesus is the ultimate neighbor. The story of the Good Samaritan is the gospel. Right? You got a man beaten down, broken, left for dead. Isn't that what sin and death did to humanity? And there was only one way for us to be saved. So what did Jesus do? Stepped out of heaven, stepped down into our mess. Carried the weight, right? He loaded him up on a donkey, took him to an end. Jesus carried the weight of sin of all of humanity. And then when it came time to pay the price, Jesus paid him full. You mean? This is the truth. When we're good neighbors, people see Jesus. Isn't that what it's about? It's about Jesus. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up with me. If we have prayer team, if you guys want to come up. Maybe, maybe this morning you walked in and you needed a neighbor. You needed somebody to step in. You needed somebody to, to show up. Well, awesome. I'll tell you about this guy named Jesus. He loved the world, came and gave his life because he knew it was the only way that humanity could be right with God. He's the son of God. They thought they killed him. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He's alive and seated at the right hand of the Father. And he says this, if you believe in me, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. If that's you, man, we, these people up front, they'd love to pray with you. If you're going through a tough time, man, it's a good way for somebody to love on you in that moment. If you're in the mess, if you're in the thick of it, man, come get prayer. These people are willing to get their hands dirty to dive in, to war, and to pray. But maybe we all need to take a step back and say, man, have I been a good neighbor lately? So, dearly, Father God, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this place. God, and I thank you that in, in everything that you called the church to be, you first walked it out. You mirrored it. You showed us. So, God, I pray that you would convict our hearts this morning to remind us to just go love people like you do. You died for people and you sent the church to go and lead people to who you are. I love you, And that's this week's message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you would like to join our online campus and experience the service as it happens live, Go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing and blessed week.